Now that's pretty creative. Well, good to see you here, especially uh, the weekend before Easter. I want to welcome those watching in Issaquah, Duval, and online as well. And as we celebrate really the core of the Christian message, this, uh, this Sunday is known in really church history as Palm Sunday. It's a day when uh, we celebrate that Jesus came uh, triumphant, and that's how he was intended to come, but obviously during that week, things turned out a little bit differently. And we're going we're to look at that and all that that means today. Uh, we're also going to uh, really consider one verse that's going to frame our discussion. You think about uh, Easter and all of that, getting together with family. Any of you getting together with family during Easter? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, that's great. Uh, Easter egg hunts, uh, obviously here, elsewhere. Uh, I've shared this story before because it was so traumatic. The first time I ever went to church, uh, by the way, those of you who are new, I come from a Jewish background. We weren't really good Jewish people either. We didn't do anything. But we heard that these Catholics were putting food in the lawn, and uh, so we thought this was good. And so we weren't Catholic or anything either. Uh, so they knew, we knew that there was this Easter egg hunt. Uh, during their church service. We didn't go to the church service, but we went to the Easter egg hunt. And I was there as a little kid, and all these beautiful little Sunday school angels stole my candy. It was horrible. It really was. And so my children, what I, I've gotten in the habit, and uh, every year I've taught them how to really do well in an Easter egg hunt, that uh, yes, you're to love your neighbor, but that's not for this moment. <laughs> this moment is to win, and uh, uh, my daughters now say, hey, you know what? We're teenagers. We're not interested any longer. Yeah, we, we all have those uh, moments that can be a little traumatic to us. Uh, we have expectations what life is going to be like. Think about uh, the Easter photos that we often take. Uh, there's great photos. You see great photo, uh, family photos like this, and don't you want a, a photo to look like this? Or uh, here's a uh, Another one, great-looking family, uh, we have that. But sometimes our uh, Easter photos will turn out a little bit more uh, like this one here. Yeah. <laughs> She's a little angry. Uh, or, or, you know, you ever get the kids to try to smile, it can turn out like this. Yeah. Uh, this one is disturbing. This next one is a little disturbing uh, for me. Yeah, I don't know. Is that a bunny or a cat? Uh, uh, I don't know. I would be upset too. And of course, uh, this one right now is again a little bit as uh, a fail. <laughs> one child realizes that there's some sort of demonized bunny right there. Well, uh, as we look at life, I think we can uh, identify particularly with which is the common message around this particular weekend. And that's that we have these great expectations, but there can be all sorts of circumstances that will go sideways in, in our life. You know, you think about uh, as we face difficulty, uh, we, we are prepared to either be, uh, we identify ourselves as a victim or the hero. And it's okay, I can be the victim of this and I can live in that. There's not a lot of hope in that. Or I can be the hero, I can overcome anything. But what about those circumstances in life 
uh, and I think this really should be most of them, where we're, we're not the victim or the hero, that we're going through something that uh, we don't have to be victimized by, but we're not going to have all the resources to go through on our own. I, I want to start with uh, a verse that we find in 1 John 4.4. 4. Uh, and, and this verse, uh, it, it uses a word greater than. It reminds me of uh, uh, what my wife was saying last week. If you're here last week, my wife and I did a message together as we uh, wrapped up the home improvement series. She's a math person, and so she loves math. Uh, I've said before, they lost me in math once they introduced the alphabet, so I really didn't, don't get it that much. But, but there's this idea if something's greater than what's on the other side, then I don't need to worry about it. If, uh, if I have an illness, but the medicine is greater than that, then I'm going to be maybe inconvenienced, but I'm not going to be undone by it. If I have a big bill coming in, but I have uh, some money in the bank, yeah, I don't want to spend that money, but it's not going to destroy me because I know I have something that's greater than. And that's what really this is speaking to in uh, 1 John 4, 4. It says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's basically talking about when we choose to live life with Jesus Christ at the center of our life. And I know many of you have made that decision. Some of you are still in process. I just had uh, lunch with someone this week who said, you know, I'm not quite there yet. And, and that's okay not to be there. My encouragement to him would be my encouragement to you is to fully vet this because this is a big deal. This is not only eternity, which is a big deal in and of itself, but it's how we live life right now. But when we live life with Jesus, the promise is that his work in us is greater than what we face. Uh, now, that's a great promise, isn't it? But we also read these words uh, of Jesus in John 16, 33 where Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples about what's to come. He said, I've told you these things so that you, uh, in me you, have may, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And uh, some of you are raised in an environment where you thought, well, if God's part of my life, I'm not supposed to have any trouble. Well, that's not a promise that, uh, that we really are given in the Scripture. I'd like that to be true, but that's simply not true. And as I think about the stories of so many of you that I know personally, and, and when I was preparing this message, I, I did it in the light of those stories and, of course, in the light of the Scripture as well. And I know some of you are facing circumstances that, on their own, seem insurmountable. Uh, I know people who I've talked to, and you've gotten the di diagnosis inoperable. And you're facing that reality. I know several people, three people I know, who are facing that with their children. I've talked to people who have had a spouse walk out on them and choose someone else over them. And so I know that the stories of discouragement are very real. And, and so here's what I want to do is I want to, in the midst of that, help you right-size God, help you understand, uh, or maybe remind you, remind myself, of how God wants to meet us in the midst of all of this. 
Well, as we look at uh, a discouragement, we know that, uh, number one, discouragement is inevitable. That's really good news, isn't it? You're going to be discouraged uh, that we're going to face uh, challenges in our life. We also know, number two, that discouragement is contagious. Uh, you've seen that, right? You've seen that at, at work. Who do the complainers at work like to hang out with? The other complainers. Uh, who do the high performers hang out with? High performers. Low performers, low performers. We see that too, maybe even uh, in ourselves. Someone sent me this uh, story. It's an old story of an elderly man in the hospital uh, who lays in a hospital, and uh, he's there with his wife of 55 years sitting by his bedside. And he says, is that you, Ethel, at my side again? He whispered, yes, dear, she answered. He softly said to her, remember years ago when I was in the veterans hospital? You were with me then. You were with me when we lost everything in the fire. And Ethel, when we were poor and didn't have a thing, you were by my side. And then the man sighed and said, Ethel, you're bad luck. <laughs> now, uh, uh, I hope you won't say that to your spouse. But, we, uh, but, but the truth is, uh, not in that situation, that's a joke, uh, that we can choose to be around people that will feed the discouragement in our life and really feed uh, actions that will be based on that. Discouragement is also circumstantial. Uh, that a realistic perspective and good friends are a bulwark in and of themselves against self-defeating behavior in the process. And there is a biblical uh, renewing of our mind. But there are circumstances that we are not going to have any control over. And uh, we can get a good perspective, but there will be times that we need more than simply a good perspective. And I'm going to talk about that. Well, we uh, realize as well that discouragement can be deadly. Uh, it can kill your dreams, your career, uh, your marriage. See, the funny thing, when you think about this concept of hope, uh, it's a very biblical concept. And you might say, okay, why is hope an important concept? Because without hope, you can never be successful in a marriage. You cannot be successful at work. Really, if you think about that, if I have a pessimistic view of uh, a marriage relationship, there's no principle you can apply, nothing you can receive that's going to help you find any success in it. At work, if you're always looking at, you know, how things are going to go poorly, we can get a little bit into that victim, that self-fulfilling prophecy as well. It can, it can really kill our dreams. Physically, they, they, they'd say that constant stress and a pessimistic attitude is worse than some of the bad behaviors. Uh, I read a study that, it's, uh, that constant stress and negativity are worse than smoking. By the way, for those of you who smoke, that's not permission to get rid of the filters or whatever you're going to do. It's, it's true, though, that there's a physical impact of it. In the Scripture, what we find is a counterbalance to this. See, there's ways we can view life. We can view life pessimism, you know, things are bad and getting worse all the time, sort of that, uh, that the glass is not half full or half empty, it doesn't matter, it's all going to evaporate anyway. 
we also have the other perspective, that blind optimism. There are no problems. Things are going to be good. Think happy thoughts and wishful thinking. Uh, that won't work. The pe actually, the people I know who end up most disappointed in life are the people who have a blind optimism. And then there's a, the bold optimism. Hey, I'm going to bootstrap it up and I'm going to get through this. That can be a really good thing. And honestly, for most of life, that will work, except when there are circumstances that are well outside of your control. Uh, and then there's a biblical optimism. And as we look particularly at Jesus uh, this last week of his life, as he entered Jerusalem, as he had a meal with his disciples and he told them that he was going to suffer and die on their behalf, and they had a hard time even getting their minds around it. And as he went to the cross, he did it fully understanding. In fact, there's a prayer in the Bible. If you've never read this one before, he's praying to God the Father. And he said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But he knew that God's plan for redemption and salvation was centered in the work that would be accomplished on the cross. That he would pay a, a debt that we couldn't pay, that we could be forgiven and freed, not based on our good behavior, but based on what Jesus had done for us. And in that, in, in the work of God through Jesus Christ, there's what I would call a biblical optimism. There's a book of the Bible, and I want to turn a page of sorts, uh, called the book of Hebrews. It was written to a bunch of uh, Christians who came from a Jewish background. And uh, most of the Christians early on were from a, a Jewish background as Christianity uh, really spread throughout Jerusalem and Israel and then throughout uh, the, the world at that time. And the letter to them was given, uh, was written to them during a time of great persecution and discouragement. Uh, they were doing their best. They were trying to uh, live a life that pleased God and not really get in trouble with the Roman authorities or the religious leaders. But trouble found them. And they didn't know what to do in the midst of it. And so in the book of Hebrews, by the way, if, if you're reading the Bible, this is a great book of the Bible, probably not the one to start with, because the first seven chapters really establish who Jesus is, that he's better than the old sacrifices, that, uh, that he's a, a high priest, and they were used to that terminology, someone who would intercede on their uh, behalf that, that they could count on. And we, we read this uh, in chapter 6. The author says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And, he, and he's saying that we have this hope in the person of Jesus. And then uh, later on it talks about people who had put their faith in God during incredibly difficult circumstances. Uh, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews is often known as the hall of faith. People who trusted God and even sometimes in their lifetime they didn't see the answer to their prayer. But they were vindicated vindicated each and every one of them. And so, in the light of that, we get the three verses that I want to focus the rest of our time on. Uh, and really, it answers the question 
uh, that maybe uh, you've had before, maybe you even have in this moment. And that's what to do when hope fades. Now, now in this book of the Bible, it compares the Christian life to a race. Uh, and by the way, those of you who are like uh, marathoners, any marathoners out here today? Anyone ever? Come on. Someone raised, okay, there's one, two of you raised marathon. Uh, any of you half marathon people? 10K people? You've ever done a 10K? Come on. 5K? You walk to the mailbox. Anyone has done that, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so me, I, 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 I so much want to run. I'll tell you what, you say, well, uh, Ben, have you ever been a runner? Yeah, I've been a really incredible runner. There's been like eight to ten times, why are you laughing at me? Uh, there have been eight to ten times where I've determined that I'm going to run like a half marathon, and I go into training, and I'll tell you what, those two or three days are excruciating. And then I realize, you know what, no one's chasing me. <laughs> I don't have to do this anymore. Well, <laughs> what, what's this running uh, example that we're given this metaphor. Well, it, it would uh, be the idea that we're in a race, and we're in a race that we want to find some victory in. And so, how do you find a sense of victory when hope begins to fade in your life? Well, well we get this, uh, ex- this teaching in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, where uh, we read this. Hebrews 12.1. Well, first we need to know, number one, it's not just you. And so we read in Hebrews 12.1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the idea is that you're running a race, and you're not just this nameless, faceless person, that someone sees you, and is cheering you on. And I don't know about you, sometimes that's all uh, I need. A number of years ago, I, I shared the story. My wife is a runner, by the way. She, uh, uh, every once in a while, she'll, like one time she did the rock and roll half marathon in San Diego. And uh, I, I thought, you know, it would be such a good thing for me to run that with her. And I thought, why would I want to do that when I could be cheering her on? So I did that, and I brought the kids, and, and we were like towards the finish line when the kids were really, uh, they were, I think, in elementary school. And I said, we are gonna, I'm going to be the best cheerer ever. And so she's running around the corner, and I see her. And I just get the kids to, to and scream, go, mommy, 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 mommy. And so we're just cheering, going absolutely crazy. And she gets closer, and it's not her. <laughs> I kid you not, without missing a beat, the lady next to me says, well, I'm sure she's somebody's mommy. <laughs> well, you know, that was, a, that was a little humiliating experience. But, but the, the true question for us in this is, we, we can read this really several different ways, is who's cheering you on? Uh, you might say, well, I don't need cheer, someone to cheer me on. Yes, you do. I mean, if you really want successful in life and relationship and in your relationship with God, in fact, it says in Hebrews 10.25, it says, uh, don't forsake, don't give up on the fellowship with other believers. And, and, and why is that? Well, in that context, it's important to read the Bible in context. By the way, some people take verses out of context. 
It's people who are just feeling discouraged and defeated. And the author is saying, you don't want to feel that way anymore? Go ahead and try all this other stuff. Here's what God has done. He's brought you into this community, not of perfect people, of imperfect people. One of the sayings we have around here is no one stands alone. And really what it should be is no one has to stand alone. Some people will choose to. Maybe you're uh, here. We're, we're coming up against a gr another growth group season. And we, last, we had about 1,100 adults participate in our growth groups uh, last quarter. These are where we usually around studying the Bible or uh, sometimes around recovery or an activity. And it's a great way to get connected. In fact, we have uh, several people who own uh, gyms and three people I know who own CrossFit gyms in particular that go to the church. And the, uh, I remember seeing in the lobby just a few weeks ago the CrossFit group. There was one CrossFit group. They walk in, they look like the super friends entering the Hall of Justice, you know? <laughs> and they're, uh, you know, they're all high-fiving each other saying, hey, why don't we go lift Pastor Ben's car or something like that? Uh, and it's, it's funny how they find this community around something that they're interested in. Maybe for you, it's more, I really need to get into studying the Scripture. Uh, if you want to have a life that makes sense, in any church, by the way, it could be a church of 100 people, you're going to want to get connected in community where you're growing together or maybe serving together. I, I know some of you are like, hey, I, I'm not sure about sitting around Bible study thing. I, I would encourage that, but if not, get involved in a ministry team. Next weekend, uh, there's going to be a lot of people. We had 5,000 people on our campuses on Christmas, and so there's going to probably be a lot of people around Easter weekend. And you could uh, say, hey, I'm going to serve. That's a great time to make a commitment uh, to serve one weekend. You don't have to make a lifetime commitment. But my guess is you're going to find that fun. It's sort of like being on a winning team. And the fact is, is that when we're about God's business, we're really on a winning team. You know, as we talk about it's not just you, uh, another, another aspect of that is to understand it's not, not just you when you're struggling. It's not just you when you're discouraged. That, that's one of the reasons why uh, the 12 steps of recovery, uh, you've, you've heard about those. As I've said, there's been many other recovery programs, almost universally not successful. Uh, pales in comparison, even with all the treatments around it, compared to the 12 steps. And, and some people spend a lot of money. There's something that happens when people get together, they admit where they failed, and they believe that God will show up in the midst of, uh, in the midst of that. And then when you hear someone else's story, you can be encouraged but a couple of ways. Like, hey, look at her. She made it. Or look at him. I'm not that bad. And, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, we can feel encouraged along the way. Well, we see that. And then another principle we learn, number two, if possible, eliminate what's draining you. Now, this summer I looked at, uh, I spent four weeks looking at a portion of this verse, uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Uh, but it, it says in Hebrews 12:1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, there's another translation 
that talks about that which weighs us down or the sins uh, that engulf us. And really there are two things. There can, there can be things that weigh, that weigh us down that aren't sin. Maybe an overloaded schedule. Maybe uh, some bad habits. Maybe some misplaced priorities. They're not sin, but they're not helpful. Who in your life can speak into that? Because sometimes we're discouraged simply because we've created a lifestyle that's unsustainable. Now, I'm not, I'm not against hard work. I mean, work hard, and that's great. Go play hard, that's great. But are you finding space for God in the midst of it? Is there something that refreshes you physically, emotionally, and spiritually? And then, of course, there's sin. That's really, uh, the Bible, as it talks about sin, it's an archer's term for missing the mark. That what God has planned for me, and I'm living outside of God's plan. And you can do that. You know, this is, a, this is America. You can live however you want to. You can't. I can't tell you what to do. But there will always be consequences. And it's not that God is necessarily going to zap you for your sin right here in this room. Who knows? He may. That would be interesting to see. But God created the universe where there's just natural consequences uh, to behavior. And you may not like it. You may, you may not even believe in God, but let me tell you this, you live under it. Uh, if, for example, if I don't sleep enough, guess what? I get cranky a little bit. If I eat cupcakes all the time, I get happy. And, you know, <laughs> I do get happy, but I also get fat. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, that's why they call it fat and happy. So, the truth is there are some consequences to behavior, and especially when we live outside of God's plan. And here's one of the things we like to say is that it's okay not to be okay, but just don't stay that way. Because otherwise you're going to feel this pervasive sense of discouragement in your life. Well, uh, number three. I got to get moving. We, we, we have to crash through our quitting points. We got to break through those uh, quitting points. It says this in Hebrews 12.1, again, using uh, the metaphor of the race. It says, and let us run with perseverance. Uh, the, the truth is there are things that we need to give up and there are things that we need not to quit. I, I, and you've done this. We have all done this. We've all stuck with the wrong things and quit the right thing. And discernment is saying, God, what are you calling me to just uh, stick with? And then number four, uh, run your own race. Run your own race. One of the greatest ways to be discouraged is to compare. Because there's always someone uh, who, who you believe is living the life that, uh, that, that you want. Uh, and, and really, there's that trap of that, and people will almost force you into it. One time we were down in uh, Arizona, and I was uh, I was a super, super nice resort. I mean, it was an uh, incredible resort that we were staying at. And we were checking in, and this guy was there, and uh, he had, you know, you could tell he was dressed to impress and all of that, and he just started talking to me. 
And he, and he said, yeah, you know, I'm here, just uh, decided to get a break. We actually live here. We have a home. And he told me how much. It was like a million and a half dollar home in Scottsdale. And I have a company, but my company is in Wyoming, and I incorporated there for tax purposes. And sometimes we just like to get away, and so we got a room here. And it was high season, so it was fairly expensive. And uh, he was just, it's like so easy. And what am I supposed to say? I tell people about God for a living? So what, what I did is I told him the truth. I said, the only reason I'm here is because I got this on Priceline.com. <laughs> and then I told him something that made him a little angry. And I said, and the cool thing, the lady at the front desk was so nice, she upgraded us to a luxury suite. I paid virtually nothing. <laughs> And he, <laughs> he wasn't happy about it. But, you know, how many times are you even in a spiritual trap of comparison? By the way, there are whole, okay, this is a little bit, I'm sort of on my hobby horse here. Sometimes churches, and we're not that way, and we will never be that way, will actually encourage spiritual comparison. That truly is a defeating, I believe there's a, a real enemy of our souls. That is from Satan. That is not from God. That is ungodly behavior. Because the only thing I read about in the Bible is where someone else is in a race and you're not saying, oh, your stride's not too good. You could do a little bit better. No, every time it says to encourage one another. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, hey, I'm feeling like I'm doing really well. Then God has given you the assignment to find someone who's not doing so well and say, you know, you can make it. And it's not about what you do, it's about what God does through you. It says in Hebrews 12.1, it says, the race that God has set before us. And then we see uh, in this passage that it points to one really big step. Uh, and I talked about this at the beginning of the message. That if you want to, if you're dealing especially with a discouraging situation, and one that honestly may not even be resolved completely this side of heaven. See, I believe in a God who does miracles, who does financial miracles, relational miracles, heals physically. And sometimes, when we don't know why this side of heaven, God chooses not to. But we don't have to be discouraged in that. God meets us in that. Jesus still went to the cross. And there was a cross that preceded the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, he looked at the life of Jesus, and something that's hard to understand unless you've walked with God for a long time, he said, I even want to become like Jesus in his sufferings. And is he saying, I want to really be a, a, a masochist and martyr? You know, no, 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 no. He's saying, I want to know what it's like to feel joy in the deepest, darkest moments of my life. My, uh, my oldest daughter, one of the things she did uh, when you're going uh, to either think I'm an awesome parent or a bad parent after this. Uh, so uh, when she was 18, she, she wanted to get a tattoo. And she said, well, I'm 18, I can do what I want to. 
And I said, well, I can write you out of the will. She said, you don't have any money, so I don't care. Okay, so. <laughs> and then, so. Uh, uh, and then, then she, uh, she said, this is, this, is, this is what I want a tattoo of, Dad. It's Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that to be revealed in us. And she said, don't you think that's awesome? I said, yeah. Still don't want you to get the tattoo, but yeah. And I thought, what an amazing thing to have as a life verse. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. And maybe that's where God's going to meet you. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary, and you will not lose heart. So, so I wish I could wrap this up completely with a bow. But I can tell you, when Jesus becomes bigger in your life, it makes the difference between despair and joy. I want to share with you one last thing. This is an email I received. By the way, I get, when I share these emails, I get permission to read them. I don't just randomly read your emails. I'd get a lot less email that way if I did that. Uh, this person writes this, and I'm not going to use any names. Uh, you were kind to meet with me about a year ago regarding uh, my troubled marriage. I never did circle back to thank you or give you an update. Uh, I know that you now become aware that my husband and I are divorcing. And she described basically that he was involved. Uh, she didn't know it at the time, but later found out the reason he didn't want to reconcile is because he was involved in a an affair with someone else and decided to leave the family for that. And I just wanted to say uh, a couple of things about the past year of my life. In my moments of despair, when I felt so broken and utterly devastated, if you ever told me I would come to see the blessings in it, I would never, capital letters, have believed you. Sorry, but I've never understood people who experienced loss and tragedy, some far greater than mine, until the blessings that had come from it. Now I get it. Some people lose faith in the midst of adversity loss, but my faith has grown tremendously. She describes how Timberlake was the first church she'd ever been part of and was baptized, and she said, but still my relationship was, with God was on a shallow level. When my heart completely broke last June, I gave God everything. I could turn away from Him or I could turn towards Him. For me, the only option was to turn towards Him. I just stayed focused on him, reading scripture, praying, and he has never left my side. I would have moments of feeling isolated, and within those moments, I would get a text or phone call from a dear friend checking in. In fact, I'd prayed uh, about being part of a growth group, and I found people who were sisters in Christ. Not only did he answer my prayer, but when my marriage ended, the amazing women of the growth group circled wagons. I've never felt so cared for in my life, and it's made a difference. She describes how uh, early on in her life, before uh, that she had struggled with alcoholism. 
And she said, even in the face of this terrible pain, I have to tell you, I've had zero desire to drink. I've been sober for 16 years. I could list the zillions of blessings and answered prayers, but this email is already long enough and probably has you reaching for another cup of coffee as it is. <laughs> Suffice it to say, the most incredible blessing of all is the depth and strength of faith now and how much relationship my relationship with the Lord has grown. All that is good in my life is rooted in this. And if you were going to get the summary message of what the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is about is that in the places of hopelessness that Jesus brings hope. Not through good thoughts or thinking good things, but by bringing his power and presence into our lives. And I realize that as we celebrate Easter next Sunday and sort of the victory lap of the Christian faith that some of us are more in a good Friday moment where we need Jesus to walk with us through, through a struggle. And so what I want to do is I want to pray with you. Will you pray with me?